once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. There's a game we all like to play. It's called Let's Make the Bible Say Whatever We Want It to Say, because if God said it, that settles it. It's one of the primary ways we rationalize our behavior and manipulate others. And it's the best way not to hear God. Lead teacher Randy Pope continues the series Hearing God in a Noisy World with part two of this message entitled Guidelines to Guidance. Thank you for joining us today. Father in heaven, we pray now that you would prepare our hearts for the teaching of your word. We ask that you would make a significant difference in our understanding and experience of seeking your will and learning how to follow it. So God, would you uh, grant us clarity of mind and thought? I pray that our hearts would be receptive and that we would be prepared uh, to encounter you and hear you in a very noisy world. So grant that we pray and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Many of you uh, certainly knew from week to week, we are nearing the end of a series And the series is entitled, Hearing God in a Noisy World. Uh, We've been talking for the last uh, numbers of weeks on issues like this. Why listen? Why would we listen to God? Why is it so important that we hear Him? may seem obvious, but we, we covered a lot of territory there. Then we moved to the hindrances to hearing God. Why is it so hard sometimes to hear God? Then thirdly, We spent several weeks on counterfeit voices, those many different things that we think to be the voice of God speaking to us in one form or fashion, only to find out in time it wasn't God speaking at all. In one of the teachings there, I brought to to the thought of, well, what about uh, distorted thinkings? And we went through the various ways that we are distorted in our thinking patterns. We're all uniquely distorted in some form or fashion. We went through several different patterns. Somebody wrote asking this question in regard to it, and it sets us up for where we go. Believing that my own thoughts and reasons, reasonings are often distorted and cannot always be trusted, what am I left with? How do I know if what I'm thinking is from the Holy Spirit or just an irrational deduction because of my sin nature. How do I know it is God who speaks? Great question. And it's because of questions like that that we said we would end the series with three weeks, last week, this week, and next week, uh, talking about guidelines for guidance. So how do we, how do we follow what God has to say? How do you know? In doing this, we're looking at 10 questions that I think when we finish next week, most would be able to say, walk down those 10 questions and at the end be able to say, I have great confidence in the decision that I'm making. But I think it truly takes looking at all of these arenas. Now, this week we're going to address two more. Let me quickly review last week because it is the foundation for the whole. Truly. The most important. Reads like this, number one, am I willing to obey God's will were it to be made perfectly clear to me? Am I willing? We we studied Romans chapter 12, the first two verses. And when we did that, 
we saw a text that talked about, therefore present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service of worship. This is the will of God, that we would be able to find his way by how. And I use this idea that what we're really looking at is not so much a challenge to figure out what is the decision that I make. Do I buy the house? Do I not buy the house? Do I take the job? Do I not take the job? All these many, many, many questions that come into our life. We say, God, I want your will. The problem, though, is that we have focused on the wrong thing. And I made the comment that really it's not the big issue, what decision do you make? But the real question is, where was I when I made the decision that I did make? Meaning, was I on the altar or was I off the altar? Now, there are a few exceptions, and we're going to look at two exceptions to that today. But I will say this, for the most part, that is the big issue of all issues. Where was I? On or off the altar? What do you mean? Well, the text says we're to present our bodies a living and holy, that means set apart, sacrifice. He goes on to teach there that in order to do that, that we cannot be conformed to the image of this world. But in fact, we have to, by the renewing of our minds, be able not to conform to this world. So he's saying, you people of God, here's what you are. You're an alien, stranger, you're a pilgrim to this kingdom of earth. Your citizenship is in heaven. You're an ambassador from the kingdom of God. And you're to live a life set apart, holy, really different than the world. Not to act weird, but you're truly different. And live that difference of a life. What is that life? It's a sacrifice. What do you mean? Well, what is a sacrifice? What do you do with it? You put it on the altar. The sacrifice would be put on the altar and would be presented to God. He said, now you do that with your life. Get to the place that you can say in your heart, I'm on the altar now. Meaning where I just see skywriting as to what the answer to my question of life is, I would do it in a moment. That's where my heart is. So at that point, I introduced just a few uh, comments that came out of some journaling that I had done. And I shared, first of all, that the real issue is, is really not the decision itself. It really has to do with the process of coming to the decision. And here's what I, here's what I shared. Our great search is for him. Keep that in mind. There's the real search. When we find him, we find his will. Great glory, splendor in other words, is gained from our search to know and understand what God reveals for us. Then I raised the thought that the reality is this is a whole lot more about the heart than it is the head. And so many of us in discovering the will of God think it's all about the head. What do I believe? What do I think? What's the best decision? How do I decide? Well, you know it's not. The big issue is the heart. So I continued on with this. Discovery of God's will in life decisions has more to do with motives and obedience than with special revealed insights on newly or newly gained knowledge. So we got to put the emphasis where it is. It's really a heart issue. Then I raised the issue of prayer. 
Should we be praying to discover the will of God? Absolutely. But I think we've missed why we pray and what we're looking to happen when we do pray. And so I often ask the question, when somebody says, well, I don't know what to do. I, I just got to pray about this. I say, why? I agree you should pray, but why are you going to pray? What are you looking to happen when you pray? You think all of a sudden something's just going to overtake you and you're going to go, boom, got it. There it is. Happened. It could, but I don't expect it. And so I conclude with these thoughts. Scripture teaches that the primary purpose of prayer is not for guidance, but rather to gain willingness to follow his will. Prayer for God's will has more to do with putting one's heart in a condition to accept and obey the will of God as it becomes clear. Once we have the will to do what we think is best, as a rule, it is common sense and sound reasoning that typically directs us to his will. I think that could be more important than you realize in your search for discovery of the will of God. Now, I concluded that time by saying, please, when you do use sound reasoning and you come to a decision and you take the job that you were thinking, should I, should I not? And then you see the job go south on you and it's not a good experience. Please, Christian, don't say or think, oh, I miss the will of God because God's will is always for the pleasant things and the things you want in life. No, don't think that at all. Now, there are some exceptions to this idea of just get on the altar and that's all it takes. Well, there are a couple of exceptions and we look at those today. Ten questions, we look at number two and three. Let's look at number two. What does God's word say? Now that seems so basic. Of course, what does God's word say? Uh, but this is worth a moment of review and thought. And for you that are seeking to fi find out what is this faith all about and Christianity, do I really want to embrace it or not? This will be highly, highly, highly important to you. First of all, as a Christian, I embraced a thought years and years ago that I heard from Billy Graham, who was the great evangelist of the last generation. Billy Graham made this statement. I so revered this man. I saw a character, not just a great ministry, but a life. And I really so appreciated Billy Graham. And uh, this was his thought. He says, if the Bible says it, I believe it. That's that. Now, many of us as Christians would say, well, certainly, that's the way we should all be thinking. But I'll tell you what, there are a lot of us here, a lot of us that wouldn't be there. And we're in a pilgrimage, and that's okay. We've all been there. But there's a pilgrimage of where we have to address the question about this thing called the Bible. We Christians say it's inspired. It's the authoritative word of God. It's without error. And you know as well as I do that there are large numbers of us that are part of the church that would say, I believe it. But would say, but I don't know how come we believe it. I haven't figured that one out yet. Sure couldn't defend it in front of somebody else. Well, first of all, we do need to know the Bible does speak of itself. That's no proof that something says of itself unless you actually have already embraced the reality of the Bible being what it is. 
But let's make sure we understand that. I'm going to put up three texts. First of all, let's put them up real quick in order. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is inspired by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Uh, 2 Peter 1.21, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Number three, and for this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received from us the word of God's message, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe, 1 Thessalonians 2.13. Now, if you've been to membership class, you've probably heard me at least share part of this, but uh, I have, through the years, I have been meeting with people over lunch uh, virtually every week. I meet with folks who are investigating Christianity. Within the first or second week, usually the second week that I meet with them, I will ask the question. I'll say, let me ask you, what do you think about the Bible that the Christian church uses? What do you, what do you think about it? And most everybody that I talk to says, I think it is a very, very good book. I don't hear people trashing the Bible. But the common answer I hear is, I, I don't necessarily believe as I share what I believe I don't necessarily go there. I don't necessarily think it's without error. Maybe it once was. I'm not even sure, but I wouldn't think that now it is. And, and I hear their typical response. And then I have the privilege of sharing four reasons that I personally can believe the Bible is God's word without error. It can be wrong, but that's my opinion. I, I believe it. Can I share with you why I believe it? And they all are glad to hear. So I'd love to hear. And I walk through the four reasons very quickly. And once we've gotten through the four reasons, do you know what I hear happen over and over and over again? I hear people say, I never knew all that. That's new information. I, I didn't know that. If that be the case, I'm with you. I believe it is the word of God without error. Can you believe that? I hope you don't because I've never heard anybody say that. They don't respond and say, hey, I got it. That, that proves it all. Never have I heard that. But I'll tell you what I do here, and I, I hear it, I see it in different ways, but this is what I really hear. You know what? That's interesting. I never knew that. I, I never heard that. I never understood that. And what they're really saying is this. Now, at least, I can understand how you can believe that without shelving your brain which is what I assumed everybody did who believed that. Hmm. And that'll get them hungry to investigate. If you want to know the four reasons that I use, they're in a little booklet that uh, is in our bookstore that I've written called uh, Life Issue Books. Most of you know about them. They're four of them. The first one is, is the Bible God's Word. And it's just a cliff note. And, of course, I walk into it in a deeper manner when we talk. But, but it's basically the four reasons. Worth at least knowing if you're not familiar with them. But the point is, we as a Christian community do believe that the Bible is the Word of God. And we don't have to shelve our brains. We really don't. Now, having said that, one of the important things that we have to do is to learn how to read the Bible. Because trust me, and you know this better than I, as well as I, that people can take this and make it say anything they want it to say. You know that. I love the little statement. A text out of context is a pretext. 
fellows dating a, a girl named Grace. He doesn't understand this principle. And he's, God, is, is she the right one or not? Opens the book. Paul writes to the Corinthians, my grace is sufficient for you. Oh, oh. Okay. Well, that was better. That was simple. Just God's word made it very, very clear. Now, it may be that you're dating grace or whoever she may be or he may be, and you're looking for answers, and the Bible really has addressed in a specific situation whether to marry or not. By Paul's writing to the same church in Corinth where he says, don't be unequally yoked with non-believers. And whoever she may be or he may be, if they're outside the faith and you're in the faith, then there's a given. And there's good reason. And if you understand God's ways and you get to study it further, you say, what a great protection that God's placing on people just to keep from the pain and heartache and suffering and challenges that most often come from those situations. Not always, but most often. And so certainly... There, there's a place to use God's word to make decisions. There really are. A lot of places. You heard the one about the, the person who was a young Christian fellow and he was trying to figure out what to do that day. And he said, God, I just want to do whatever you want me to do. And whatever you tell me to do, I'll do it. And so he said, I'm just going to go to your word to find out because that's where you talk to your people. And so he said, let's see here. And he opens the Bible and he just puts his finger down and he looks down and he reads and it says, and Judas went and hung himself. Well, may, maybe that couldn't be right. I, maybe, that's, maybe that's not right. So he flips to another place, and it says, Huh, Ooh, go thou and do likewise. <laughs> Let me try one more time. Whatever you do, do quickly. <laughs> you get the point. A text out of context is a pretext. Look what John White has to say. He said, God does not desire to guide us magically. He wants us to know his mind. He wants us to grasp his very heart. We need minds so soaked with the content of Scripture, so imbued with biblical outlooks and principles, so sensitive to the Holy Spirit's prompting that we will know instinctively the upright step to take in any circumstances, small or great, through the study of Scripture you may become acquainted with the ways and thoughts of God. So very, very true. Now, to prepare us for the third and final question that we need to ask for today, I want to raise another question to kind of prepare us. The question would be this. Do you think there is any way to know the will of God? I'm not saying to kind of think so, probably, you know, best judgment, yes. I'm talking about know the will of God in a specific decision of life outside the written word of God. I'm not going to ask you to publicly answer the question because the majority would probably have the wrong answer. Because I've done this with too many people, and many of you have heard me share this in the membership process to say, most people say, well, the Bible is the only way. There's no other way. And I say, I don't agree with you. I think there are many ways to know the will of God 
And I mean no, not I think so, it probably, but I mean no what God would say with 100% accuracy what the will of God is. And that's by answering the third question, and that is this. What do my God-given authorities say? Now, Christian, you're about to walk into some uncharted waters, unless you've heard me share this in the membership process to some degree. But otherwise, I will assure you, this is uncharted waters for the modern church today. I will also assure you, if you go back 50 years, I think fairly safe to say, you go back 100 years, you would see everybody throughout the Christian church virtually saying, oh, we know about this. This is, this is obvious. Yeah, of course, of course, of course. But not today. This is stuff that's just drifted away, and you and I could be persuaded easily otherwise than what you're about to hear. There are God-given authorities, and that is how we do find the will of God. I'm going to suggest to you that there are, there are four that are just very obvious ones, and I'm going to put them up in brief and talk about them just quickly. Number one, family. God uses the family to know the will of God. Let me illustrate. Imagine that you've got a 16-year-old child. Your child has just gotten his or her driver's license, and your child is home that evening, early evening after getting it, and announces to you, the parent, mother, father, which everyone didn't know, hey, guess what, mom, dad? I just got my driver's license today. Well, congratulations. Happy for you. And guess what I'm going to do tonight? What? I'm going to take it all over North Atlanta to all of my friends, and I'm going to show it to them. I am so excited about doing this tonight. I won't be home till about three in the morning because there are a lot of friends, but I should, be in, I should be in by about three this morning. Now, assume there are no curfew laws or anything. You say to your child, uh, sweetheart, I, I don't think you're going to do that. Uh, no, no, you're not going to do that. And your child says, I had a feeling you might say that. But you know what I've done? Mom, Dad, I have, I've been praying about this for a long time. <laughs> and I know, I just sense this is God's will for me to do this. And, and by the way, Mom, Dad, if you'll show me in the Bible where it says 16-year-olds are supposed to be in at a certain time or not supposed to take the driver's license or anything, if you show me that in Scripture, I will not do it because I love the Lord more than anybody. <laughs> now, what would you say, parent? I'll tell you what I'd say. I'd say, son or honey, daughter. It is the will of God for you to stay home. <laughs> the will of God. <gasps> how can you say that? Well, here's how I would say it. Ephesians 6.1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. <laughs> I'm serious. That's the truth. It is the will of God for them to obey parents. Are there any exceptions? Yes. And that's when, that's when the, the parent says, I want you to do something. I'm telling you, you must do something that the Bible directly contradicts and says no. In that, you say, there's a higher authority than any earthly authority. But outside, God not saying it's not correct, yes, you obey. That is the will of God. It's amazing how many parents agree with that teaching. 
It's amazing how many children don't or will not at least like the, the teaching. But it's interesting, the same teaching is going to be found in three other areas. It's amazing how we'll push back on it, whereas parents, we wouldn't on this one. Hmm. How about government? Government, let's imagine that you're driving very fast in a 30-mile speed zone only because you are at an urgent meeting uh, to help somebody in crisis, and you've prayed and prayed and said, God, i got to get there quickly. I know this is a time-sensitive thing, and I see there's no traffic, there's no people, there's no, I know it's a, a school area, but I just, and so you're going 60 miles an hour in a 25-mile zone. Policeman pulls you over. Knowing you're desperate to hurry and get through, you say, officer, can I ask you a question? By any chance, are, are, you, are you a Christian? Officer says, yeah, I'm a Christian. I said, well, good, because I just want you to know it's the will of God for me to speed. <laughs> Prayed through it, thought through it. It's the right thing. Uh, the urgency of the matter and so forth, it's the right thing. And he could rightly say, and it is the will of God for me to give you a ticket. How can we say such? How about Romans 13, 1 and 2? Let every person be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, he who resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. God speaks through them. The same can be said through employment. Same thing. Somebody says, well... Uh, employer comes and says, I got to have you in Chicago for a meeting uh, tonight, uh, tomorrow. You're going to have to catch the flight and get on up there. Oh, I got a ball game for my kid. I've prayed about this family's first priority, and I've got I've to go to my child's game. I said, no, you can't do that. Well, I've got to. Whoa, whoa, whoa. That is the authority, isn't it? Look what we, well, look what we see in, um, in 1 Peter chapter 2. I'm sorry, um, Ephesians chapter 6. And it says both. I'm just going to use this one. Go back one. Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters. And of course, this is talking in the context of a different situation then, but, but uh, still the authority over you certainly is, is business. Uh, who are your masters according to the flesh? So who are our masters according to the flesh? Our employers. With fear and trembling and the sincerity of your heart as to Christ, not by way of eye service, as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With good will, render service as to the Lord and not unto men. So here again, authority. Now what I'm about to say in the fourth and final one is one that today I'm telling you, if there's any sense of holding to the first three, this one's gone. This one's been lost in the modern church. It is the authority of the church. The authority of the church. What do you do when you come in conflict in business with a church member? Party A says party B has literally taken $10,000 through a business situation inappropriate and took $10,000 from me. Party B says no, party A took $10,000 from me. They both got the same story. One's right, one's wrong. So you can go to court, but you know the scriptures say, Christian, don't go to court. You've got your own court. Why do you go to the civil magistrate when you've got the ecclesiastical magistrate that's here? Why don't you use your church? It's a family. Far easier, better, more appropriate. Do it together like that. 
So two parties agree, knowing each party thinking, I'm going to win the case because I know I'm right. And so they go before leadership that's prepared and trained to do such, and they're ready, they listen, and they say, you know, that's hard, but we think party A owes party B. But party A knows every detail and knows not just my perspective, it is wrong. No, he's taking me now. It's going to be $20,000 if I pay him. I ain't paying it. And leadership says, no, you must. I'm not going to do it because I know I don't know it. I'm not going to do it. What is the will of God? You would do it in the state, but wouldn't do it for the church. Why? Because respect the state authority more than I do. No, it's because the state has the power of the sword. And the church has no authority as such, no, no power except love. And so it's easy to abuse. But look what the Word of God says in the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews, chapter 13, it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls. Who has the job of watching over souls? The elders. I'm an elder. We have almost 300 elders in this church. Sure, they watch over your souls as those who give account. Let them do this with joy, not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. And here is an interesting final text. Final text to look at is Matthew 16, 19. This is after, this is after Peter and Jesus are having a discussion with the apostles. It's stated here and also in chapter 18, the same teaching, same words. And basically it's this discussion of, of you know, you know, who do people say that I am? And Peter says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And, and as a result of that, he says, Peter, upon this rock I build my church, and the gates of Hades shall never prevail against it. And then these words come up. These very words. I, give, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you shall loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. What in the world does that mean? Let me ask the question here. What are keys? Keys represent authority. They do. In Scripture, that's, that they're used here to represent authority. I think most all agree with that. But then the question is, what do you do with keys? Keys unlock to let in. Keys lock to keep out. Keys sometimes have to be used to unlock, to let someone in, get out. What is this idea? What's he saying? The text has said this. Whatsoever you shall bind on earth, God says, I will bind in heaven. What does bind mean? To hold obligatory. Whatsoever you loose, loose on earth, I will loose in heaven. What does loose mean? Make permissible. It's talking about authorities that say it is permissible, it is forbidden, you cannot. You can, you cannot. And he says, whatever you do, I am going to say I agree. That's what God is saying. Now, obviously, if you go against his word, that's a different deal. But outside that, God's saying, I'm not here to rule on every issue of those who need authority. And so I'm going to say to the, to the child, I'm given a parent, and I'm going to speak through them. And in a citizenship, I'm going to give you a government, and I'm going to speak through them. 
And whether it be a church, I'm going to give you an authority and I'm going to speak through them. And so you just have to submit and follow and obey. A word we hate to hear, submit or follow, obey. Really? That is the will of God. So then the only question left is, who is the you? Who holds those keys? And that's where the great debate through the church has gone. Literally left the the church split between a Protestant and a Catholic. Because is there a you that's one person, an individual uh, in Rome, a pope who can make the decision and that binds and so forth and so on? Well, I don't think so because of the text. Here he's in a group with Peter, and yes, there's a dialogue going on with Peter. And it's interesting, in one of the two texts, it uses the plural in the exact same wording, but uses the plural, which really is explaining that he is not talking just to Peter. He's talking to the apostles, and he's saying, I give to you, plural, the keys to the kingdom. When he talks about, upon this rock, I build the church, there's two words for rock, Petra and Petras. One is a little stone, and that's the word used for the word Peter. The other, Christ the rock, is a boulder, and he uses the word rock. He's not saying, Peter, I'm building the church on you. He says, I'm building the church on me, and build the church on me, and the gates of Hades will never prevail against you. I give to you, who? The, the, the apostles. I give you that authority. So what do the apostles do? They go from church to church and they lay on hands. They literally lay on hands on whom? On who? Elders in each city. They put on elders, always in the plural. Do you know what the laying on of hands means? It means a conveyance of authority. Just this two weeks ago, three weeks, I forget now, we had a, an ordinance, a service in the chapel for our new elders, 30 or 40 or whatever, and deacons. And we, we had a laying on of hands. What do the laying on of hands mean? It's a conveying of authority. He did it. Gave it to the apostles. The apostles give it to elders of churches. And elders of churches give it to elders of churches. Give it to elders of churches. And you have authority from God. So there's a second view. And that is, oh, it's you and me as Christians. If I'm a Christian, I have I have the keys, and so if I need to be disciplined, I'll discipline me. No, that doesn't work that way, and that's singular. That never, never in Scripture. So it's either going to be one person in Rome or wherever. It's going to be I hold the keys, or it's going to be the elders hold the keys. That's what Hebrews 13, 17 is teaching. It's amazing. It is a lost teaching today. And so the point is, you listen to God through the authorities. And I know what we're thinking. But those authorities make mistakes. And yes, they do. So here's the question. Can you know the will of God? And once you know the will of God, is that always the wisdom of God? Yes, you can know it's the will of God. But no, you can't know for sure it's the wisdom of God. What if the parent assuming there were no curfew laws. What if the parent says, no, you're not going out till 3 o'clock, young lady. You will be home by 1.30. Well, so she gets home at 1.30. No breaking of a curfew law of the government, not disobeying the parents. Is she out of what we would say, there's the will of God? No. I would suggest, though, she's outside the wisdom of God. The parents were outside the wisdom of God. Could the two, could the parties 
uh, the, those in the church leadership get the wrong answer and say, we're going to award the 10,000 to party whatever when, and make the wrong decision? Absolutely they can make the wrong decision. And it's still the right thing to, yeah, if you want to be in the will of God, you pay the money, but it wasn't the wisdom of God. They failed. There's, it, there's no infallibility except in the word of God. But at least, Christian, you can know you're in the will of God when you obey your God-given authorities. That is so critically important. Let me close with this. We talked about these two exceptions to just getting on the altar. The important thing is getting on the altar, making sure you know what the Word of God says, you're not violating that, making sure that you're hearing what your God-given authorities have said, and you listen to that. And by the way, if I can add one note, I should just have said this. I think today we have so lost this teaching that much of what we think the church is today is not the church. Do you know if you were to go to the Reformation, and that's just a few hundred years ago, and you were to ask during the Reformation time, the church, historic church at that moment, if you were to say, what are the signs of a true church? They would give you three responses. These are known as the three signs of the true church. Whether this can say it's, it's fully inclusive, no, but I think they had great wisdom. They said, one, there's going to be the rightful declaration of the word. There's going to be the rightful administration of the sacraments. And number three, there is going to be the rightful dispensing of church discipline by the authority of the church. I think today we're getting a lot of places that are now turning more to just a place to sing and to hear teaching and consider there's my church. I would want to ask the question, are there the sacraments there? Is it the rightful preaching? Good. Is there authority in the church that's being used biblically? Are they going, no, 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 no authority? The historic church would say, that's not true church. As good as God will use the Bible studying and the worship and all, folks, the authority of the church is critically important. And because of our lack of it, we're losing a generation church-wise. We're losing it. Now, just as I said, you've got to crawl up on the altar and so forth. Let me say this. It is possible that you can do what the Word of God says in detail. You can follow what your God-given authority says and make the decision to do whatever they say to do and still be out of the will of God. Do you know how? It's because not being on the altar, the heart was not there. And God's will is to do what he has you to do with the right heart and the right motives. That's very important. Just like for some of us here as, as those who are seeking answers to the faith. Or some of us here that are, think maybe we are of the faith and who knows whether we are or not. We're religious. You know, it's possible to be a very religious person and follow what the Bible has to say. Actually, to believe it and to do it and be out of the will of God. Why? For the single reason. Because we're not on the altar. We've not put ourselves there as a living and holy sacrifice. That's why last week's teaching was so foundational to this. You've got to get there. And I noted even as I was, as I was uh, writing my notes... I said, you know, here's the real issue. The only way to get on the altar is to embrace 
Christ getting on the altar for us. Folks, that's critically important. Otherwise, it's just willpower and I'll be religious and I'll do my thing. No, 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 no. God says, you've got to look to Christ who went on the altar and his getting on the altar enables you and me to be able to get on the altar. So if you're here not yet in the family of God, you got to know this. It is not what you do. It's not what you believe. It's you embracing what he's done for you and me on the altar. That's where you've got to go. And you see what he's done, and then he does something to us. He transforms our heart, literally. He transforms us, renews our heart and our minds, and as we are being renewed, we have the ability and strength now, not willpower, but God's power, to be able to get up on the altar and make the right decision. So please don't just think, okay, i got to try harder and be better, and therefore I can get on this altar. No, no, no. you got to embrace his getting on the altar for you and me so that we can then get up on the altar. So I'd say to those of us that are seekers, look at Jesus and what he's done. Just dwell on it. Look at it, stare at it, think about it, and invite the work that Christ has done to be the work of your heart. You'll never understand it. It'll be mystical. I understand, but it'll be real change, and your life does change that gives you the assurance that you've now become a child of God. A new way of thinking, you, you'll find it. If you never experienced, walk in that direction. Go to the scriptures, read, study, see what he did for you. And Christian, get in the scriptures. Get in the scriptures. And I pray as you get in the scriptures that you're going to be able to see his truth, get to know the context, understand what Christ has done, and keep going up on the altar. I get off every day and have to get back on, off every day, get back on, get back on the altar, and watch what God does for you. Got to make sure you're on the altar. Know that you know what God's word has to say. Know what your God-given authorities say. And then next week, we'll look at seven questions. I think once you see all 10 of them, you're going to say, hmm, not so difficult to find the will of God. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we're going to ask you now that you would grant those here that are not in your family, not certain of being in your family, the ability to see the great work that you've done by sending your son on the altar. And I pray that it would break the hearts of many of us here who have yet to ever go to the altar. Some of us even now want to say, I give you my life as a living and holy sacrifice, and I want to be your child. Penetrate my heart, change me. Enable me to have the power and ability to get up on the altar. Grant that in hearts right now. For many of us here that are your children, who have been defiant to certain authorities. God forgive us. For some of us as kids who have been saying, nope, I'm not going to do it your way. Father, let them have a heart to know your will and to submit under, your, under their parents. I pray, Father, for many of us here in employment and not, not doing what we read in Scripture about submission pray you'd break our hearts and not to do it just to be man-pleasing but to do it 
for your sake. I pray for many of us here that have defined the authority because we know the lack of wisdom in many decisions our authority is making. But to know it's good to be in your will even though out of the wisdom of a leadership if that be the case. And I pray for the many here that have pushed the church aside and said that's not an authority for me. Never even taken a walk through the use of the keys to come into a membership of a church because of whatever reason I pray that you would break our hearts for not submitting to an authority find an ecclesiastical home called the church Father I would pray for the many 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 of us that are in our journey groups that last week this week and next week we're learning how to study your word and how to get in your scriptures and how to hear from you I pray that these are going to be the best weeks for those that are studying and learning how they might be able to figure it out and understand and embrace you daily by getting in your word in a healthy way. And I pray for any here that are searching to figure out, is, is the Bible your truth? Is it really from you infallible? God, open hearts and minds. Let them see it. Thank you, Father, for the privilege of letting us be able to walk through your word each week. We bless you and thank you in the great name of our Savior Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.